Welcome to the Travel Possibilities Podcast. I'm your host, Callie O'Connor. I've gone from career burnout to taking multiple career breaks, scoring several remote jobs, and even starting my own business while traveling to over 80 countries. The one thing that held me back from starting sooner was that I didn't believe it was possible for me. I wasn't aware that travel could become part of my lifestyle. Through this podcast, I'm so excited to share with you the travel possibilities that are out there for you. In season four, we're talking all about inspirational travel stories. Let's get started. Hello, hello, and welcome to season four of the Travel Possibilities podcast. I'm so excited to be back with another season. And just as a little intro before we get into today's episode, season four is going to be a little bit different than the previous season. This season is all about inspiring travel stories. It's going to be all interview episodes, speaking with guests who are traveling the world in one way or another, and you never know whose story is going to inspire you, going to probe something within you to be like, oh my gosh, this is the motivation that I needed to really take that step. And so... I know when before I first quit my job back in 2015 to go traveling around the world, it was hearing stories of other people doing it that really set me in motion. It was reading the blogs. It was talking to real live people. And so that's what this season is about. You'll see how unique each of my guests is and how unique their travel stories are. And I'm just so excited to share all of them with you. And so without further ado, I'd love to introduce my first guest this season, Lonnie James. Lonnie is a writer, a storyteller, and an adventurer. She quit her job almost a year ago to start traveling full time and decided to go on a date in every country as a way to meet people and learn about local cultures. And accidentally, she started writing about it, created a blog, and now she plans on writing a full book of her, her stories and everything she's learned along the way. And she's recently been featured in some huge publications, so maybe you're already aware of her story. She also posts regularly in some of the female travel Facebook groups, so it's fun to see her stories there and on her website. And guys, this is just a really awesome episode. It was fantastic fantastic chatting with her. I know you're going to love it. And I'm so excited that I got a chance to speak with Lonnie. So here we go. Before we dive in, this season's episodes will come to you uninterrupted and ad-free. I know that you'll be inspired by the stories you hear this season. And if you need help taking the leap yourself, I encourage you to check out the resources listed in the show notes or visit my website, www.travelshifters.com. Whether you are seeking a remote job, a career break, or pursuing a different travel possibility, there are resources and services for every budget, including free. If you have any questions, my DMs are always open at The Travel Shifters. Now, let's get into today's episode. Hello, and welcome back to The Travel Possibilities Podcast. I have an amazing guest for you today, so we'll just jump right into it. Lonnie, thanks for being here. Why don't you introduce yourself to everyone? 
Thank you so much for having me, Callie. Um, hi, everyone. My name is Lonnie James, and I'm from the Pacific Northwest. And a year ago, I quit my job to travel the world full time and decided to go on a date in every country and go on a hike in every country. And I've started writing about it. And so I'm excited to tell you guys all about that. Yay. I'm so excited for this one. <laughs> it's so good because it covers like all the themes of this podcast, like the whole quitting your job to travel thing. And then a question that comes up all the time is, the dating thing, like how can you be a traveler and date and so on. So we're going to talk about it and I'm excited. So we'll start at the beginning. What made you decide to leave your job and travel the world? Well, uh, I have wanted to travel long term for a really long time. I started traveling when I was younger. I did like study abroad in college. Absolutely loved it. I had some family circumstances that delayed me leaving the country. And I know that the main thing that's always the struggle for leaving is money. So I wrote down a bucket list and then I made a plan and I made a budget and I was like, we're doing it. We're saving as much money as we can. We're going for it. We're going to live the life that I want to live. And so that's what I'm doing. I love it. And like, of course, it's easier said than done. I imagine like when you were in the thick of it, the saving, like, you have to make some alterations to your lifestyle. Can you talk a little yes. bit about that? I know people get really curious about that. Yes, absolutely. Because it, it is a plan. I think that's the number one hurdle for people is like, how do you make this happen? Money is the biggest hurdle. I think a lot of people can buy the plane ticket and make the fun itinerary, but how do you pay for it? And how do you do it for a longer period of time? In my case, there was a lot of sacrifice involved. I made sure that I had a list of all the things I was working towards. This is the, I want to ride a hot air balloon in Cappadocia. I want to do this trek through the Alps. And I put them on my walls. I had these giant poster, like they're literally giant sticky notes. And it was a little obsessive, but I had a list of all the things I was working towards to be a constant reminder. And then I had a list of all the ways I was saving money and the ways I was cutting expenses, the ways I was selling things. Oh my gosh, the amount of spreadsheets and lists I had for like dollars that I could save this month and not spend things. I changed jobs to increase my income. I got a roommate. I moved. I mean, I made a lot of sacrifices, but for me, I was very goal oriented. And I was like, this is what I want. I'm going to make it happen. And I did it. That makes so much sense <laughs> in such a good way. Because honestly, if you know what you're looking towards, like spending $100 to go out to dinner in the United States, for example, oh. like that can go so much further abroad. So so much. And I would remind myself, honestly, I would say for the last like year and a half before I left, when I wanted to buy something, whether it was an item of clothing or I wanted to go out to a fancy dinner, I would stop and I would say, okay, one, do I need this item? Two, am I taking this item with me? Or three, am I going to be able to resell this item? If I couldn't answer yes to those things and have a good value add monetarily, I didn't buy it. So I said no to a lot of things, but for me, I knew what I wanted. And I think I, I get this question asked all the time. So I'm just going to address it. Right. There is no magic number. There is no certain amount of money that you need to have saved when you leave. I think your comfort level is going to be different person to person and where you're going in the world. Are you going to Southeast Asia? Are you doing Europe? Are you doing hotels? Are you doing hostels? You can spend almost any amount of money in a year if you want to. You have to figure out what works for you. And so I think more people would be able to travel if they realized there wasn't a magic number that everybody had. So that's my, anybody can do it. I <laughs> love it. And like, I say that all the time too. It's everyone wants a number, but the number can be any number. It, it depends it really on really can. It depends on the type of trip you want to have. 
And is it three months? Is it six months? Is it a year? It doesn't have to be long-term. You can also plan for a year and decide you're done after six months. It will change. Maybe your money goes further than you anticipated because you were budget conscious or you made friends and you were able to split accommodation, or maybe you spent it faster than you planned. That's okay. Travel is constantly adapting and changing. So whatever plan you left with, it's going to get messed up anyway. So you can't hold too tightly to the numbers and the budget because something's going to change it at some point. It just is. It's fact totally. of life. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And so you made a list of your bucket list places and yes. activities and yes. stuff. Have you been following that? Have you like filled in the blanks with other destinations? What has your trip looked like so far? Yes. So when I left the US, I had a one-way ticket to London and I had a bucket list hike. I wanted to do the Tour de Mont Blanc, which is a hundred mile hike all the way through France, Italy, Switzerland, and back to France in a giant loop through the Alps. It's crazy hard. I had this idea that I was going to do it. I did it. It was awesome. So proud of myself. Um, But so I realized that I've changed in how I travel. When I was a bit younger and traveling, I was doing a lot of the really touristy top 10 things to see in Paris, top 10 things to do in London, that sort of thing. And while I still enjoy some of those things, I find that I'm more experiential based and I really have enjoyed nature as I fell in love with hiking in the last couple of years. And so I find that I'm not necessarily spending as much time in the cities, but I'm seeking an experience, whether that's a hot air balloon or a hike or a road trip. Those for me have been so amazing. And so I pick usually at least one bucket list item for a country. It's taking me to that country. And then anything else that I do while I'm traveling there is an added bonus. Also means that I have a really healthy relationship about not being disappointed because I have been previously the person that made a giant list when I'd go somewhere and something was under construction or closed one day or we didn't time it right and I'd miss something and I would leave feeling like I didn't do a good job traveling because I messed up and didn't see all the things on my list and I don't do that anymore. So it's a big perspective shift. Totally. And this is so relatable and I'm glad you're bringing this up. And I think like, as you become a more experienced traveler, that is just sort of the progression you take. Like tour- mm-hmm. tourist activities are there for tourists, like for a reason. And that's mm-hmm. a great way to get started. You know, you know, like you want to see these big things, but then it does happen. You kind of get a little tired and burnt out and you want to slow down and you figure out what you value more. And so I really relate to that. And I imagine other people will as well. <laughs> I hope so. I think a big part for me as well is some of those touristy things are a hundred percent worth it. Standing in the line and paying the money for whatever bucket list item was, was something you've do to do it. Like there are those things that you're going to be in a crowd and it's just that great. It's worth a crowd. Okay, fine. Not everything on the top 10 list for me is worth it anymore. But I've also realized that every day doesn't have to be full. I can't tell you how much I enjoy a quiet day. Uh, I'm going to wander in a city. I'm going to pay the expensive money to have the coffee on the piazza so I can read my book and people watch for two hours. And I'm going to order the cheese plate and live my best life. And that's my schedule for the day is just enjoy it, wander, end up where I end up. It's not a like, okay, nine o'clock I have to be here and 12 o'clock I have to be here and let's squeeze it all in. I enjoy the slow days and build those into my time as much as I can now because they're really life-giving, particularly when you're traveling long-term. Absolutely. I love that so much. And so with your decision to go on a date in every country and to take a <laughs> hike in every country, did that happen after you already left? Or was that something that you had in mind prior to departing? 
a little bit of both. So the date in every country, funny thing, I was actually on a hike in the Pacific Northwest. Um, I was living in Seattle at the time when I was really doing a lot of this planning. And I was with my hiking buddy and I was like, I think I should go on a date when I'm traveling. I think that'd be a really fun way to meet people. I'm single. Dating in Seattle sucked. Lord knows anybody else listening in is going to be like, oh, sweet Lord, don't talk. It's bad. It's bad. Um, And I was like, it'll be a fun way to meet people. And gosh, if I fall in love, fantastic. If I collect some fun stories along the way, great. So she and I were spitballing ideas and decided that would be really fun to do. The hiking thing came about a little bit accidentally. I realized that quite a few things on my bucket list were nature-based and quite a few of them were some treks and hikes and things. But I flew to London on that one-way ticket and was staying with one of my best friends and her husband. And she's like, do you want to go? They call it a ramble. Do you want to go on a ramble? Um, And that was uh, like a 10, 12 mile hike in the rain. (laughs) It was great. (laughs) Um, And then the next country, country two, I did it. And then country three. And I was like, oh, I think this is a thing. And I think I have hikes booked in four, five, six, and seven. So let's just make it a thing. So that's kind of how that started. And it's been, it's been really fun. I love that so much. It's like, it's just a great way to reconnect with nature and stay active mm-hmm. and all of that. Absolutely. So now let's get into the dating part. Cause like, <laughs> I'm super excited to talk about this. I think it's important because like, yeah, like I said, you don't have to pick and choose. You can travel, you can date, you can do absolutely. So how do you find your dates online in real life? What is your approach? Most of them have been online. Um, I use Tinder Passport and I do play pay for Bumble Premium. I've done Hinge as well. Um, kind of depends on the country, which is the most popular one or the one that I'm getting the most traction on. I have also met someone in the wild, as I say, and I have also been set up one time. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, so it's been a little bit of variety, but mostly online dating, which has been really interesting because in these different cultures, I get to ask questions about how normalized online dating is. Is it accepted? Is it a bit taboo? Are people embarrassed to be like seen online? Certain cultures, I learned that the women are embarrassed to be seen. And so their profile won't even have any pictures of their face. They'll just have like pictures of their hands, but they'll still have loads of matches because the guys just realize that. And so they'll have loads of people chatting with them, even though they don't even have a picture of their face. And I was like, this is fast. That is fascinating. Can you like tell a little bit more about which countries you found this, like where it's more taboo to be online versus where it's more accepted? Yeah. So in some of the countries, so I had never been to a Muslim country before. And so uh, my second country was Egypt. It was really interesting to learn about the culture there, to learn about arranged marriages, to learn how much the religion impacts the dating structure, that people are living at home until they get married. And that's traditional to learn about the rules for touching and sex and intimacy. That is a big shift. And then also when you're comfortable with someone, I had a really long date there. I had a 13 hour date uh, in, in Cairo. And so we got really good conversation and he was really honest with me and was willing to answer all of my questions. And part of that was, I know that people have rules with religion. I grew up in that. I also know people break rules in religion. So how is that happening as well? So I was able to kind of ask questions and learn about the cultural shift because I realized that maybe the parent or the grandparent generation is a little bit more traditional and maybe a little more strict. And this next generation or even the younger generation are really maybe shifting away from that. And what does that look like? So that was really fascinating. And I saw that in several Muslim countries. I found out that people are a little more relaxed if you live near the water. If you're a little more inland, you tend to be a little bit more traditional. That was the case in Turkey. And Italy, Italian women do not want to be seen on the apps. They they consider it like a personal failure that they haven't been able to meet a man naturally. So they're embarrassed by it. Now, 
this was what I was told by my date, but I also realized I'm getting a male perspective. Mm -hmm. So then I met some Italian girls and I asked and they're like, yeah, that's kind of true. <laughs> but like one of them had been on one, one of them was married and the other one's like, yeah, absolutely not. And I was like, we're making you an, a profile. And she's like, no. And I was like, we're doing it. <laughs> so it was, it's been really fascinating. That's awesome because this takes like exploring new cultures to a different level and it's cool. I mean, that's what travel is all about in the first place. For sure. I've learned a lot. I've asked a lot of questions. I've collected some really interesting stories. <laughs> We're going to get into the stories. I can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> so when you are on the apps, what are you looking for and what do you say, like, yeah, what are you looking for in terms of a date? And what are you looking for in terms of a relationship? Just a date? A, mm -hmm. Are you open to how do you express that? Basically, I don't know how to articulate yeah. what I'm trying to no, ask. No, <laughs> that's, that's fair. And I get asked this question a lot. And I feel like it's an ever evolving answer. So my profile says what I'm doing. So I am very forward about I'm traveling around the world, I'm going on a date in a every country. I'm looking to learn about the culture. I'm looking to do a fun activity. I'm going to ask a lot of questions that's on there. And so I'm making sure that I'm setting the expectation. It would be great to fall in love with somebody, but I have a high standard. I'm really happy. Like I'm incredibly happy right now. So I'm not looking at somebody to fill a hole in my life. It would take someone really fantastic for me to say, yeah, let's do this. I also realized that a compatibility issue for me in the past has been finding somebody that prioritizes travel at the level that I do. Yeah, people might take one trip a year. That's not enough for me. So I want to find someone at some point uh, who matches that same level of prioritization. And in the meantime, I want to meet people who are interesting, people that I can learn from. Yeah, if there's chemistry, absolutely. If I end up with a new friend, great. Been on some disasters. That's just a funny story. They say that new saying thing, it's like doing it for the plot. Yeah. Absolutely, doing it for the plot. <laughs> We've been on some of those. We've been on some of those. But I realized that I've had a, a shift in my perspective of dating. Back when I was in the States and dating, I wanted to be in a partnership. And so I would use these filters of, what I was looking for. Maybe I had a type physically or socioeconomic, even, you know, what sort of life would be built together, that sort of thing. And I don't feel that way anymore because I'm not actively looking for that partnership. I'm looking to meet and learn and grow. And with that, it means that I don't consider a date a failure if it doesn't end in a goodnight kiss, or it doesn't end in a second date, or it doesn't end in a let's hang out again. All of those I previously would have been like, oh, I wasted my time. You know, I wasted their time. I wasted my time. This didn't go well. Ugh. I don't feel that way about it now. And so I feel like I have a lot more gratitude when I go on a date, even if it's a disaster, I'm grateful because it just means that I appreciate the really good date that I have the next time around that much more. That was a long-winded answer. Sorry. No, it's so good though, because I think a lot of people approach dating like men suck, Ugh, women suck, and like dating sucks. And like, yeah, you can see it, but if you approach it from a different perspective, maybe you're not going to feel that way so deeply because you can actually pull some benefits out of it regardless of what happens. For sure. And I, I want to be really authentic with people. I run into the same problems internationally that I ran into the United States. I have 100% been stood up. I have 100% gone on the date with the asshole. Those things happen all over the world. That's not exclusive to the US dating scene or European even, it happens everywhere. So while it sounds really glamorous to go on these dates, and some of them have been like wild and crazy and out of the box, some of them are boring. 
and some of them are really awful but it's for the plot at this point <laughs> this is like this is really valuable information to anyone listening <laughs> okay so when you are on the app looking for people, what stands out to you in a profile? Who is the type of person that you want to go on a date with? Well, I'm a huge gut instinct person. I'm a sucker for a really good smile. I found that I'm actively trying to not swipe on something I would always maybe traditionally swipe on the United States. So uh, that means pushing aside some habits in regards to height or looks or race even. Like I grew up in a really predominantly white culture. And so that's normally what I've dated. So it's been really fun for me. And I found that I'm, I use the term rubbernecking, like even in public now, I rubberneck for different types of people. And I love that because I find that I have been attracted to more and more different types of people as I've actively spent time and sat across from people and had really interesting conversations and learned in these different cultures. And so my type, I don't think it exists anymore, but like it's changing. I am looking for someone who's a good communicator, because I am going to ask questions. And if you can't answer questions in a texting conversation, mind you, I'm not asking for the moon there. But like, if you really can't even reply more than one word, we're not going to have a good date where I feel like we can have a good exchange. So that's part of it. I find it a really, uh, what do you call it? A green flag now, not a red flag, green flag. When someone is automatically excited about my travel experiences and wants to offer me recommendations, someone who's like, Oh, this is my favorite bar in town. Not even that like we will go on a date there, but like, oh, make sure to see this, make sure to eat that, make sure to go here. They're just excited to show off their country and their culture, that level of pride. I had that when I dated in the United States. And I remember going on dates with people that were also traveling. I was just excited to show them a good time and show off my city. And I want that same sort of like match reciprocation. Oh, love it. That's so cool. So <laughs> And so can you tell us about your first date on your travels yes. and were you nervous? <laughs> like what happened? Okay. So <laughs> it was a bit of, it was a bit of poor planning on my part. So it, I was so excited. I was riding this massive high. I had quit my job. I had done the thing. I had bought the ticket. I was seeing one of my favorite humans in the world, a girl that I met studying abroad like 15 years ago. And I was staying with her and her husband in London and we were busy. We were going out to dinner to celebrate and we went on this, this ramble and we were going around town and doing all these things. And I was like, crap, the week's gone. I was there for a week and I was like, the week's gone by and I haven't scheduled my date. I made this commitment that I'm doing this dating thing. I got to get my shit together. So in that case, I was frantically swiping and it was so bad. Oh, sweet Lord, it was bad. Tinder was the worst thing I'd ever seen in London. And I was like, ah, but I was like, maybe this is just me assuming that Tinder would be the spot because that's what my experience had been with, like the most users. And so this is how like the whole writing about my dates came out is I got on this online group of women, this private Facebook group, girls love travel. And I was like, help. I quit my job. I'm supposed to go on a date. Tinder's awful. Am I using the wrong app? Is there a better one here? Like London girls help me out. And all of these women were like, one, get off Tinder. It's terrible. You should be on Hinge or something else. Two, what are you doing? What? Please explain. And three, you have to tell us about your date. So I scheduled my date for the last night that I was there, which was a mistake. And I haven't done that since because he was really lovely and I would have spent more time with him, but I was leaving the next day and I had to like brush off because I needed to pack and I wanted to stay up late and I couldn't. So that automatically resulted in a change of behavior. So I try to go on a date a little bit earlier in my time, because if you meet someone that you want to spend time with, I want to be able to have that opportunity. But he was lovely. It was drinks. And then it turned into dinner and it was raining. And it was romantic. It was great. That's awesome. I love it. This is... <laughs> <laughs> 
Cool. So do you limit yourself to like dating one person in each country or have you done multiple dates with? Okay. <laughs> You're like, I date in Absolutely every country. Absolutely not. At bare minimum, I try to do one date. Okay. But I also realized that when traveling long term, sometimes that's a capacity issue for me of like, look, it depends. Maybe I'm there for a week. Maybe I'm there for a month. I don't know. That changes all the time. But sometimes it takes a lot of energy to have the conversation. Sometimes I'm exhausted or I'm busy doing things. I'm road tripping. I'm not going on dates while I'm solo road tripping and camping in Iceland. So I really only had the availability to go on dates when I was like in the capital. That meant bookending like the day I arrived or the day that I left. Like that was it. So sometimes there's a little bit of scheduling, which is why I appreciate swiping in a country before I get there. That's one of my tricks is that's why I pay for like Bumble Premium or Tinder Passport is I use their travel modes so that I can potentially make a connection and have a little bit of rapport before I even arrive, if that helps. Yeah, it makes total sense. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> okay, so let's get into some dating stories. Like do you, <laughs> most memorable in a good way and most memorable in a bad way. <laughs> this this is so hard. There have been so many good, memorable ones. So there isn't a best. People ask me what was the best and what was the worst. And I was like, there isn't a best. There is really good chemistry with one person. There's crazy activities like paragliding or hiking or hilarious museums. That was a funny one. I've done all sorts of activities on the dates and those are always fun for me as well. But I did, I connected with this guy really well when I was in Jordan and he and I ended up like renting a car and doing like a little road trip day. And so we drove to the Dead Sea and we did this hike, um, the Wadi Mujib hike and so it's like um the slot canyons in utah it's like the zion narrows and you like hike through water all the way up this canyon like several miles to this giant waterfall it was an adventure night it was so much fun and we drove around and got burgers and then we floated in the dead sea which is the saltiest thing in the whole oh my goodness um but it was an adventure day it was so much fun and we had such a blast and we went to like a really fancy dinner that he wanted to recommend um and so we did that it was, it was a really great day Really great day. Sounds so fun. <laughs> it was so fun. <laughs> but I can balance that out by telling you the bad ones. <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> I am tempted to tell you the story from literally like a week and a half ago, which hasn't even been written yet and doesn't exist on the blog. But we have several options in regards to bad ones. Being stood up. I've been like full on sat at the bar. Someone confirmed they were on their way or coming and just never showed. Twice. Twice. Um, so that was really unfortunate. I bought myself a beer and exited or wandered around and did whatever else. But that happens. That sucks. It's absolutely terrible. In that regard, though, I also saved myself the time with whoever that was going to be that was not a nice person. I tell you the funny one from like two weeks ago. This one, I just, it was bad. It was more awkward than anything. I don't know what you do when you're on a date and then they're awkwardly talking about how much money they have. But then it's really awkward. And then they happen to drop in the middle of the conversation that they um, are a magician. And then, in the middle of dinner, they happened to just whip out the deck of cards that they brought for the occasion <laughs> and proceeded to do magic tricks. Ladies and gentlemen, magic <laughs> tricks during dinner. My face, if you had seen my face, I was like, what is happening? Also, this man planned for this. I think this is his move because who says, it's a guy, it's not like he's carrying a purse full of like fun objects. It's not Mary Poppins. Who carries a deck of cards and like glasses and a deck of cards? Those were his props for the evening. He did, he did get my card right. It was the nine of clubs. But I was sitting there like, what is happening? It was funny, but also incredibly awkward. And I was like, oh, okay. Okay. So, you know, there's that. Oh my God. <laughs> I feel like it's, that's such a stereotypical thing. Like 
the magic thing, but like during dinner of all time. During dinner, like you brought this. Like if it had been several dates and we talked about it and knew about it in advance and you were excited to like show me a trick, I absolutely I'll be your biggest cheerleader. But like during dinner, yeah. it was it was it was odd. It was very odd. <laughs> you can't lead with the magic tricks. <laughs> no, no. I mean, he did get the card right. He wasn't terrible. He wasn't terrible. And for some girl, that was going to be the best thing ever, and she was going to love that. That I was not that girl. That's okay. <laughs> That's okay. okay. Wow. Okay, cool. So yeah. <laughs> do you tend to focus on local people when you're looking for dates? Or have you dated other travelers as well? I always prefer to connect with locals if at all possible. Sometimes it's not as easy. And so I have gone out with travelers, but typically... If that's the case, it's ended up being a country that maybe the guy's from there and he's back visiting, but he moved away. So he, I can still learn about the culture. I can still learn about the place and he can share lots of things, but maybe he doesn't live there currently. I've also done that when it's been like a second date in the same country. The first person was local and the next person was another traveler. It's it's a little bit of a catch-22 because it's really easy for me to connect with travelers. We usually have lots to talk about. There's often a lot of shared interest and maybe some really good chemistry because we're working towards the same things in life. And so there's always a temptation to just date travelers, but I've met so many lovely locals and I've had some of the best experiences. So I balance it, I balance it as best I can, mix it up. Love it. And I think that's important just in travel in general, not even dating because like you can go to hostels and you can meet other people and they say, if you solo travel, you're never alone. But like a lot of times that means you're with other travelers. Mm -hmm. But to me, what I've learned like over the years, and that's how I traveled initially, I love meeting local people and making friends with local people. And the experience oh. is completely different. It's an entirely different experience being able to be welcomed into someone's home. I've had guys make me dinner. Safety. We'll talk about safety. Mm -hmm. But um that is just a really lovely experience that I wouldn't necessarily have at a hostel. And I also then have the opposite of maybe I went on a date with a really lovely local guy, but he's a total homebody. And we had a lovely time, but we were never going to be a long-term compatibility. So I also have to have a healthy expectation of I'm going to enjoy this for what it is. I'm enjoying their time. I'm so grateful that they're opening up to me and sharing their story, but we are not going the same direction in life. And this is just a beautiful fleeting moment. So you have to also realize that like long-term, short-term, what's, what's the expectation and maybe make sure to talk about that as well. Absolutely. And so do you find that having had all of these dating experiences, it's becoming easier for you to sort of accept reality for what it is or like, Speaking from my own personal experiences, I tend to have more anxious attachment in the sense that like you mm. can see a future and like you hope and dream and all of this, but like you seem to be able to appreciate the moments. And do you feel like that's something you've developed through this process or it's something that you had all along? I think I have always chased the moments. I think during this journey, I have grown so much. I've seen substantial growth and substantial change in my patterns of dating and the way that I view moments. I also went through some deep loss before this trip and I, I lost my mom about uh, four or five months before I left the country and she'd been Sorry. sick for a really long time. Thank you. But 
losing my mom at a young age for me was a really big shift in how I value the present and how I realized that life is not a guarantee. My health is not a guarantee. Travel, we all learned during COVID, travel is not a guarantee. So there's a lot more gratitude to enjoy these moments. And I realized, I realized that earlier in my life, I said no to things because I second guess consequences or I second, I was like, I'm moving. I shouldn't start dating someone. It's just, it's not going to go anywhere. And so I said no to really lovely humans. And I don't want to be the person that says no. I would rather say yes and regret the things that I said yes to than regret the things that I didn't do. So that is how I'm actively trying to shift, say a lot more yes, um, so that I'm, I'd rather apologize for it later. <laughs> Love it. I That's super powerful perspective, really. So thank yeah. you for sharing that. Yeah. In the different countries you've been dating in, have you come across differences in culture in the sense of like, who pays, who asks? You like did Absolutely. men take initiative in asking you out on dates? What have you found? All of it. I have found all of it. I've have, mind you, I offer to pay in the United States. I love it when a guy pays. I think that's really lovely, particularly if they've asked out, then I feel like that's a, a kind gesture, but I still offer. I don't expect that. And if we split, we split. But I offered to split because that's what I've always done. And this person was like, I would be horribly offended if you had agreed to do this and it's actually kind of offensive that you asked. And they were gracious to explain this to me, but I was like, oh, oh, I, I obviously don't want to be offensive. So I didn't realize that simply even by offering was problematic. That was in a Muslim culture. They were a bit more traditional in some, maybe some more gender roles, which has been really interesting to learn about. I had one of a bad date where we ended up with a situation and the bill, and it was very confusing. That's the story. I'll have to read that one. Uh, that was Switzerland. He was German and I got stuck with a giant bill. I read that one. I remember that one. I don't know what human does all the ordering for the table, ordered me an $84 single glass of wine without letting me know. And then was like, we're okay to split the bill. And I didn't even know what the number was. And then like, I'm budget traveling. Like, absolutely not. I, I spent almost $150 on my own dinner that night and was just, and also same thing. The person had bragged about all of their money. And I was like, this is so incredibly awkward. I would normally offer, but like you, I didn't read the menu. Like you, you ordered all of it. So that started a really interesting conversation when I wrote about that date and people were like, oh, this is really normal. And I was like, yeah, but is it normal that they order for you? Like literally order the food? Because I looked at the menu in advance to make sure that I could like afford it. And yes, there were things that I could, so we were fine, but the menu was taken away. <laughs> so that has, that was, that was a hard learned lesson. Oh my goodness. That was a hard learned lesson, but it started a really interesting conversation about the women took great pride in Central Europe and even I think potentially maybe some of the Nordic countries, they would never let a guy pay. And then other women were like, absolutely not. I'm walking out the door if he's not paying. I was like, this is culture of how you were raised. What did your parents, what did your mom maybe encourage you to expect when dating? And it is a very broad spectrum. So that's been a really interesting thing as well. Wow. Yeah, that is... <laughs> You kind of have to go in with like such an open mind to be like you do. really open to any way it could go. And I constantly have to question myself and go, is this my personal opinion? Is this my culture speaking? Or is this a general rule of thumb of just how women should be treated? So I think there's always a lot of internal questioning when I'm like, oh, I don't like that. Is it me personally that doesn't like that? Is that my American upbringing that's saying, ah, oh, that's not normal, quote unquote normal? So I think- there's a lot of internal dialogue as well to process through and figure out what maybe bias I'm bringing to the table and what I need to second guess and maybe change and improve on my part. Absolutely. And have you found like, I know sometimes 
as Americans, we can be viewed as having lots of money. Has that come into play at all in the dating? Yeah, I think some people have made some comments offhanded, not like horribly direct and offensive to my face. But I think there is an assumption of that. And let's be honest, I acknowledge that I am privileged enough. I worked really hard to get here. It is not by any luck. But there were certain privileges in my life that allowed me to get a really good job and allowed me to save and allowed me to be assisted by my community and support of friends and family who supported me budgeting and saving and doing all of that. And so in that regard, I am very lucky. But yeah, and compared to a lot of the country, a lot of the world, I am. I am rich. So there's a measure there, but it's also this like, well, I have a plan to travel for a long time and I have to be cautious with how I spend. So it's a bit of a dance. And it's always going to be a bit of a dance, um, particularly if money comes up. And you also have to choose what you're willing to share because people do want to ask all the time, how much did you save? How are, how are you doing this? Like, what's going on? And so I understand there's a deep curiosity because a lot of people talk about it, but money's often the number one hurdle. So that, that can pose a challenge. I think also there's sometimes a, an assumption or expectation around American women and maybe they're sexuality and things like that, that there are, whether they're media-based assumptions or identities that have kind of been built up in movies and things like that, that people maybe have expectations. So I think there often just needs to be a lot of dialogue. And um, it's been really interesting. I had some guy that was like, just very general run of the mill, like, hey, let's go like Netflix so we can chill and hang at my house. And I was like, do you mean Netflix and chill or do you mean Netflix and chill? And he was like, what? And I was like, I needed to explain. So there's also all the slang. There's this assumption of like, what does hangout mean? What does a date actually mean? When you, I will ask somebody, what does a date look like in your country? And by date, do you mean that you're in a relationship? Because even in the States, our linguistics have changed about dating and exclusivity and situationship. We've literally made up words to like complicate what's already already complicated. <laughs> but so I'm also trying to learn what those mean and maybe what those slang terms are in local cultures, cultures as well. So fascinating yeah these are very interesting <laughs> points that like you maybe wouldn't consider at the start and so you've mm -hmm. learned along the way so appreciate you sharing all of your insight and knowledge <laughs> absolutely so I know something that comes up a lot when it comes to traveling alone but maybe particularly mm -hmm. dating in different countries is safety so how do you approach yes. that this was a really important one to me and I've even evolved in like how I've handled things. So uh, a couple of rules of thumb. One, I share my location with a couple girlfriends. girlfriends. Uh, two, I don't give out my number anymore until I've met you in person. And it is really common, no matter the culture, we'd be like, hey, let's switch over to WhatsApp, like shoot me a text. And I will actually just be like, you know what? I didn't do that until I met you in person because I have given my number out. Whether we just end up chatting and never meeting up and I'm annoyed that I spent all this time chatting or I end up getting messages that I didn't sign up for. Um, so in that regard, for me as a safety thing, and it's been a really good decision, I'm, I'm very happy with that decision. I do not give out my number until I've met them in person. I also, I've had a new catch-22 because I have a blog about all of this. I don't have my social media attached to my profiles anymore. I made the mistake. I forgot. I forgot that it was attached to like an old Bumble account. And I was like, oh, I'll try Bumble. I haven't tried Bumble here. And I didn't know the entire date that the guy knew I had a blog. And at the very end, he like walked me to my hospital. He's like, oh, this makes for good writing for you. And I was like, what? And I literally looked at him. I was like, I didn't, I didn't tell you about my blog. And he's like, it's on your profile. I was like, oh shit. <laughs> and I was like, because, because part of my thing is, I tell them on the date that I write 
I don't want them to do a bunch of research ahead of time because I think it clouds someone's behavior. I want them to be sincere and not overthinking things. I do absolutely, the men are always private in my stories. I want anonymous, it's really important to me. And I do let them know that I'm writing about it because I think that consent is, is important as well. But that's a bit of a dance as well. Uh, if I'm getting picked up, which some people do and everyone is not okay with that and that's totally fine, I will give them the restaurant on the corner or give them the coffee shop down the street. I always make sure I have working data on my phone. So I, I've used Uber in how many countries now? I want to make sure I have an exit plan. Exit plan is really important. Have somebody that you're going to check in with. I absolutely will let them know. I've sat across from a guy and been like, I'm going to take out my phone in a minute and text my girlfriends because they're wanting to make sure that I'm alive and you're not a serial killer. And they're like, oh, really? And you're like, yes, really. Hold that thought. I'm going to text them right now. <laughs> So I think those things are all really important and safety is incredibly important. And solo traveling as a female can be really scary, but I think just being a female existing in the world can be really scary and I don't want it to slow me down. I think there are cautious things I can choose to do and specific habits that I can do so that I can still enjoy adventurous travel while being safe and smart. Love it. And I totally agree. Like acknowledge that there are dangers, but don't let it Absolutely. hinder your experience. Absolutely. Have you had any experiences when it came to safety or just like unexpected experiences due to cultural differences? Um, yes, I had a man. This is this is a really bad date story. So I'm not going to share the whole story. But long story short, he and he had told me in advance, like prior to meeting up that he had to run a client to the airport. So we were going to like watch the sunset. He was going to run to the airport, then he was going to come back. And I was supposed to be camping that night and the storm had rolled in and he was like, if you don't have a spot to like camp because of the storm, like he had a business, you can camp underneath his awning. It was a whole thing. He left and never came back. And I hadn't made a secondary accommodation plans and the storm got really bad. So I slept on a bench in an office, his office with my luggage because he literally left and never communicated again. And then it got late and I was like, I don't want to just like wander in this giant storm with my luggage to go find a hotel, which would have worked. And there wasn't a boy there who was very kind and lovely. And he was really respectful. And he's like, put these two benches together for me and like gave me the one pillow and was like here. And I was like, I'm sleeping on a bench because they did not go to plan. <laughs> did not go to plan. So that was not fun. Don't recommend that one. Mm -mm, no. No. Not that one. <laughs> so it was unfortunate that yeah. is unfortunate. not always great. always great I guess like it really is important to highlight it's not all gonna go well you are gonna have not always glamorous yeah. but then you can write about them and talk about them on podcasts so <laughs> yes <laughs> amazing so what advice do you have for someone who really does want to get out there and travel but they kind of feel stuck in their current circumstances whatever that may be um, so for me, a big part of this was figuring out what I wanted. So in my mind, it was a couple of beauty bucket list experiences. I knew I was going to add a million more things to that list at some point, but there were a couple of things that I was like, I want to do this. I don't want to wait. Hope I make it to 65. Hope that I have money for retirement. Hope that I still have my health and can climb the mountain. I'm doing it now. I realized that finances were a big part of that. And so it was making a plan. And I have this quote that I love, failure hides an ambiguity. And I don't remember who said it. It could be a proverb. I'm not sure. But in my mind, I do better with a goal when I'm reminded of it regularly. So putting those lists up on my wall, putting things on my bathroom mirror, putting things out and about. So I was reminded all the time to work towards this goal meant that when I did want to do the Amazon shopping, I saw that list and I was like, I don't need this. 
I don't need this crap because Amazon, you just end up adding more things to your cart. And then I've spent money that I didn't need to spend. And we don't know where it ended up at the end of the month anyway. And so when I was going out to dinner and things, I would think about, oh, this could be like 12 meals in Vietnam, <laughs> 12 meals, <laughs> that sort of thing. And so I tried to remind myself when making a plan, tell people, I often like hide some of my goals and I don't think that's really good anymore. I think speaking out your goals and finding people who are going to keep you accountable and not only accountable, but support you. And so in that regard, I had friends who were asking how it's going. How's it coming? How is your savings plan going? Ah, let's go on a walk. I know you're saving money. We're not going to go out to dinner. We're going to go on a walk. We're going to get a coffee or we're going to make coffee at your house and then go on a walk. So people and community that are supportive of your goals and who want you to succeed, your chosen family, are going to help you make the choices to get you where you want to be. And that was really important. So tell people. And the people who like support you will, will show up in that way. Oh, I love that so much. And like the other key thing is you don't have to listen to the people who don't support you because they're not going where this you're is going. True. This is true. I can't tell you how many people were like, you're going where? Like, to be perfectly honest, like people were like, I'm sorry, you're a blonde white woman. Why are you going to the Middle East? Why are you going here? That's not safe. You shouldn't do that. You're going alone. What, 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 what? And there was absolutely tons of pushback, but I had wonderful experiences there and the hospitality and the food and the humans were incredible. And to think that if I had listened to those people, I would have foregone all of those experiences. Absolutely not. I think so often, maybe some fears regarding travel are based on poor media portrayal. And so I hope that in my writing, people get a curiosity about a place. They get the fun dating stories, but they also get to hear about a culture that maybe wasn't ever on their list. And now they consider going to. And so there's some uh, level of education around somewhere new and how great it can be. And how wonderful the people are or the history is or the food or the date. I love that so much. It's so, so important. And like, what a cool lens to just deliver that education through. People come for the dating stories, stay for the education and really learn about it. Because I attest as well, the Middle East is the best, the most generous, mm, most yeah. hospitable people I've ever Thank met. Goodness. I love it. I can't wait to go back. And so- absolutely. Where can people find you online to read more of your stories, to learn more about what you're up to? Yeah, so thank you. Um, so I have my Instagram if you want to see all the pictures. My name is really easy to find. I'm lucky with that. Uh, so it's Lonnie James, L-O-N-I-J-A-M-E-S. And then my blog, super creative title, LonnieJames.com. <laughs> it's also linked on my Instagram. <laughs> easy. And I'm linking it in the show notes as well. So you can just click. All right, Lonnie, thank you so much for being here. Before we wrap up, I know this is like the worst question to ask someone who's traveling, but do you have any idea of what's next for you? So I'm currently in Cape Town. I've really enjoyed it. I actually extended my time here and I haven't done that in a while. So this has been really fun for me. I think I'm going a road trip across the country. I want to do the garden route, hit the mountains on the Eastern coast. And then from here, I'll head a bit North. I plan to be in Africa for a few more months. So Botswana, Zimbabwe, uh, Mozambique, Tanzania. We'll see. Amazing. So be sure to follow along on her journeys and read her stories. The stories are so good. It's so <laughs> interesting. I love it. Thank you oh, for thank coming you. on and being so open and honest and sharing with us because I think this is a really important conversation to have and everyone can learn a lot. So I appreciate it. Thank you so much. I'm so flattered that you asked me and I'm so happy that 
other people can hear stories that inspire. I know I listen to lots of stories and I told you I was listening to podcasts as I was like showering and thinking to do lists and packing and listening to other people who had done exactly what I wanted to do. So I think it's, it's great that we're building this community. So thanks for including me. Absolutely. Thanks for coming on and everyone else. I will catch you on the next episode. Thank you for tuning in to the travel possibilities podcast. If you liked what you heard, I would be so thankful for your positive review on Apple Podcasts so I can keep the episodes coming. If you aren't already following me on social media, come soak up the extra tips and travel inspiration on Instagram by following me at The Travel Shifters or by visiting my website at travelshifters.com. Thank you so much for being here and I can't wait to connect with you in the next episode. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss it.